Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only gaming podcast where you actually plan your housing moves in order to fit in a new game table. I'm your host tonight, Mr. Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Mr. Jake Klopfenstein. Jake, how are you tonight? I am doing wonderfully, Mark. Wonderfully. Happy that you're back. It's great to be back. I was just, for those that don't know, I was actually traveling the past two weeks, visiting Italy and did get a chance to do a little travel gaming, but uh, not as much as I would like. So before we bury the lead, though, yes, what's this about uh, planning housing around gaming tables? Anna and I, my fiance, um, live in an apartment in Minneapolis, and we are looking to go to a bigger apartment because we're going to get married this summer and we're going to get a whole bunch of kitchen stuff because that's what happens when you get married. We need a little more space. So we were in between a couple of places. One place had space for a big dining room table that we could put a board game table in and one did not. So guess which one we chose, Mark? Wise choice, my friend. Wise choice. Yes, yes we chose the right one with the game table. So hopefully you can actually open some game <laughs> nights at my house now and not in my rinky dink little apartment. Yeah, that'll be awesome. I can't wait. Sweet. Like you literally could move the stuff down the sidewalk if you want. I to. know it's literally two and a half blocks. So I think we're actually going to pay for movers because we were talking to them and it's like per hour and it seems really affordable. And if we have everything in boxes, that saves me having to pay people in beers and six packs to have them come over. So we always had a rule in our group of friends that you could get your friends to help move you that first move after college. But the second one, you hire movers. Right. And so. that's it seems like we're at that point. We don't have that much stuff. We live in a pretty small apartment. The main thing will be the board games, but I can move that myself. I'm not going to let people handle that. They, I, I can't let my babies be in charge of somebody else. No, no, thanks. <laughs> no kidding. If you need uh, kid gloves with that one, I'd be happy to come over and help you move your game collection. <laughs> white gloves, white gloves. I cannot guarantee they will all arrive at their destination safely, ah. much like my suitcase from my trip to Italy. God, that's so funny. I was going to ask you this. You told me that you lost your suitcases. Did you lose any of your games or no? No, the games were actually in a backpack. I flew from Italy to Boston and I retrieved my bag in Boston, went through customs, rechecked it in Boston, and that was the last it was ever seen of. So uh, we're 48 hours in, no sign of my suitcase, no updates. Uh, I'm starting to think this one might be a lost cause. Woof. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> that sucks. Maybe it's in the harbor. I don't know. You know, random thought on that one. You know, since the Boston Tea Party, actually, the entire ocean is really just weak tea since then. There it is. Very weak. Ever thought about that? The only hmm. solution to pollution is dilution. Let's talk about games, Mark. We've riffed for too long. <laughs> What'd you play this week when you're in Italy? Okay, so as we talked about a few episodes ago, I'm a big fan of having a traveling game case, and my case of holding was in full force this time, loaded up with, oh, I don't know, about 18 different small box games that were ready to whip out at a moment's notice, and we actually got to play quite a few games. So we pull out games every time we're on a train or waiting at an airport or even just back in our hotel at night just to relax a little bit. The interesting one, and man, this makes me really happy, is that the number one game that my kids wanted to play more than anything else, recap, my kids are 12 and 10, the number one game they wanted to play was Teach You. So anytime the game case came out, that was the game that they picked to play. And they could have chose a better one. Oh, it was great. And everybody knows how to play it. So we can literally just whip it out, start playing and get in almost a full game, no matter where we're at. Oh, that's so awesome. The other thing that was getting very wait, impressive wait. to me... But before that, did you play counterclockwise or counterclockwise in Teach You? Oh, the only way you should play it. Oh, no. You play it counterclockwise? No, that's wrong. Yeah, that's what's the rule. And, and, and Jake, to trigger you even worse, we drew off of the deck rather than dealing the cards. Uh, that's how you're supposed to play it, Jake. That is the rule. I disagree. I disagree. If it actually would do something interesting, but to be candid, the way that it plays is there's there's nothing different. In, in, in how it's played it just what? it just drives me at the wall i've played way too much spades and hearts and all those games in my life to know and poker for that matter to go freaking counterclockwise for oh this game's kooky rules it's ridiculous ridiculous <laughs> it's like toilets flushing in australia jake it goes the other way ridiculous ridiculous i, I I'm, <laughs> I'm mad now i'm gonna have an angry tone to my voice the rest of the podcast <laughs> the best part about it though was is that both of them have been playing the ios app of teachu which is really good the ai on that is pretty darn good actually i was able to actually see marked strategy improvements in their play as a result of playing the ios app there was moves that they made where normally they would have like played a pair of aces or something silly like that that they purposely held off and afterwards said oh yeah i saw the app do that and i decided that was a good move as a result boy they're getting really competitive that's great. And just for the listeners, we've talked about Teach You ad nauseum, but might as well summarize it one more time. 
Tichu is a card game that's probably the most similar to games like spades or hearts or trick-taking games like that. But this is technically a ladder game, and it's played in partners for the most part in the four-player version, which is the, I think, only way to play the game. And you pay play in two two two-player teams, and the goal is to get rid of your hands, and you can call Tichu and get a whole bunch of different points. But it's a card game. It's also similar to a Richard Garfield design called the Great Dalmudi. I think there's also several drinking games that are very similar to this. Not that I know anything about that. But (laughs) (laughs) it's a pretty old concept. But man, the strategic depth in that game is just continues to amaze me every time I play it. It's phenomenal. And to buy it from Rio Grande Games, I think it's like 10 bucks, 15 bucks, and you get two decks of it. The only downside is it's really hard to learn this style of card game, similar to like hearts or spades or traditional kind of card games from a sheet of paper. And I found it just impossible to learn it through the rules. So try to see if someone that you know knows how to play it and learn it that way. It's way better that way. For sure. And uh, you will not regret it. It's a great game. Teach you. Published here locally by Rio Grande Games. Uh, We did also play a couple other small box games. We, of course, bring a couple of oinks along and I got a chance to play the also trick taking game called Twins by Dr. Reiner Knizia, published by Oink Games. And this is one you introduced me to a few years ago. And oh, a few years ago, <laughs> hello, last year. And I had to find a copy, even though they're not so available in the U.S. And man, I love that game. You play four hands. In that four hands, what you do is there's one hand that, depending on which hand it is, depends on how much you pay in or take out of it. So first hand, the one that has the best hand gets some money back out. Second hand, the worst hand pays in. Third hand, the one with the worst hand pays in a little bit and is out of the game. Fourth hand, the person takes the entire pot. It's also kind of got a, a two-dimensional suit system on it where there's these black and white top and bottom bars and colored faces on there. So it's a little more fancy than just hearts, clubs, spades, and so forth. Right. The great part about it is trying to sequence your cards out to is it best to play this one to win the first hand or do I want to try to get through late and win the whole pot but I run the risk of actually washing out in the third hand and not even getting a chance to compete for it and I've seen that happen quite a bit right yeah I like this game this is one of those ones that's an oink game that we both love and we both own but you seem a little bit more enamored with it than me so you always bring it out but I like the game fine I don't know why I don't bring it more places it's just kind of on my like B tier of Oink games that I'm not always grabbing. And the final one that I want to talk about here and then let you chat about a few of the games that you've played is that the Mint games come out every single time we travel. And I, I don't know that I need to say much more about Mint Works. That's the uh, action selection game about building a village that's in a, I'm going to call it an Altoids tin and uh, plays to seven points in about 10 minutes. And we both agree is an absolutely spectacular game. But I'm actually going to give a little bit of love to Mint Delivery. Interesting. Yeah. I Like, OK, so reality check. It's not as good a game as Mint Works, and I'm not going to pretend that it is. But it's not a bad game. It's a little pick up and deliver game where you're trying to deliver three types of mints to four different cities around the board. Uh, again, fits in kind of a fatter Altoids box. Mm-hmm. And again, short 15 minute play where you're trying to exhaust all the orders at a certain town. And when that happens, you add up the number of points for what you delivered and the game is over. I think where the game gets interesting, Jake, and I haven't played this yet and we tried to, but we had a limited amount of time on the train is there's a deck of asymmetric powers that you can draw from that gives you a special boost whenever you deliver cinnamon or something like that. And I I think that really makes the game a lot more interesting. Have you ever played using that variant, Jake? I don't think I have. So I'll be candid. This one is one of the games that I played a couple of times back at Gen Con, and I kind of felt like I had sussed out what it had to offer, and I haven't really reached for it since. It's kind of been circling the four trade pile for me for a while, but you're right. We should try it at least once with that variant to see if it gets better. I think that's really going to make it quite a bit more interesting. So before right. you trade it, let's give that a whirl. For sure. Completely agree. And I'm, I agree with you. I love my copy of Mintworks. It's so small and it's just a great little worker placement game. I think I might not like pick up and deliver games that much in general. So maybe I'm just viewing that through this lens as well. That's fair. Hey, at the end of the day, isn't 18xx a pick up and deliver games? It's not. It is not, Mark. There is not (laughs) things to pick up, nor are there things to deliver. I'm joking. I'm not going down that rabbit hole again. No, we're not going to have that (laughs) argument, especially on air. Uh, So what'd you get a chance to play, Jake? So it was actually a lot of good game days here while you were gone, which is sad. We like to play games together, but um, I was lucky enough to play a whole bunch of games with a whole bunch of different groups of people. And I actually was lucky enough to be able to play Azul by Next Move Games, designed by Michael Kiesling. And it was it was awesome. 
Azul is the tile placing game that kind of took the world by storm a couple of years ago. I think it came out in 2017. And what you're doing is you're drafting different little tiles, putting them on a little thing that's going to kick them over to make your little mosaic. It has been a family favorite of Anna's family for a while. And I think Azul is one of the best candidates in the last three years for being an evergreen game. Would you agree with that statement, Mark? Oh, yeah, completely. I think it's one of those that will be in print for nearly continuously and will be in that Mount Rushmore of family games that just everybody knows how to play. You know, I, I thought that game was going to be Sagrada, but definitely wrong. It's Azul. Right. Completely agree. And it's just such a beautiful production. If you haven't seen it, Google it. It's beautiful. We've been able to play this with a bunch of non-heavy gamers and or not even gamers for that matter. And they pick it up really quick and they're into the game quickly and they have a good time with it. And I keep on enjoying my repeat plays of it. I've at least played it seven or eight times now. Probably actually more than that because I don't always record my plays at family events. It's just a wonderful game. I need to have it in my collection just to bring out to my non-gamer friends. They're going to love it. That was Azul by Michael Kiesling. I was also lucky enough this weekend, I scheduled a Sunday game day at a local game store called Lodestone Coffee and Games, which is wonderful. If you're ever in Minneapolis, go check it out. Um, they have good coffee there. One of the only game spaces in the West Metro Completely here. Agree. We're, we're woefully underserved. Yeah, and so they open up early on Sundays. They open up at 8 a.m. So I was there at 8.30 with my friend Brett and Eric. And what we did is we played some Food Chain Magnet by Yorin Druman and Yoris Rasinga. This is a splatter game, which is a publisher of boutique, somewhat financial Euro games that are somewhat boutique and hard to get your hands on. What Food Chain Magnet, it's the most well-known one of these. And what you're doing is you're a bunch of business people who are making business org charts to try to be the best at producing fast food. And it's a pretty heavy economic game, but it was the first time for me to teach this game to Brett and Eric. And I believe they really liked it. It's a doozy of a game. I find it really mean at some points, but it's just so fun to be able to build your little business empire and outcut everyone else's business. And regrettably, I lost to the newbies. It was one crucial mistake, oh, no. <laughs> which is bad because I'm pretty sure there's sound bites of me saying I'm pretty good at this game. But I made one crucial mistake. <laughs> you have said that. On oh, I for yes. sure. And I made one crucial mistake. I think I was doing something that like was me overthinking it. I thought I was the smartest guy in the room to be able to undercut someone's business. But really what I should have done is just marketed what I'm good at. And then I could have done the same thing just better. It was just a dumb idea. I was like, <laughs> and it didn't work out well. <laughs> Would not recommend. Yeah. And the challenge there is when you're either whether you're teaching or whether you're running a heavier game, it really does require 25% of your brain to be constantly focused on that task. And that, at least for me, is the 25% I need to win. So, right. Absolutely. So if, if you want to beat me in a game, just say, hey, can you teach me that game? I guarantee I'm an easy pushover no matter how many times I've played it, just because I'm always distracted on trying to keep the game on the rails and making sure you have a good experience over me actually winning. So, eh, you know, I guess that's a good right. goal to have, but it doesn't no, always I think it's help a great my win-loss record. Right. And we, we care about that deeply, of course. Yeah, not We're a darn joking. bit. If I yeah, did care so, about that, I'd be awfully depressed. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I just love this game. It's actually, I think, in my top 15 games, if I'm remembering correctly, and I need to play this game more. There's so many people in my life that are in the game group that haven't had a chance to play this one. And that falls on me. It's such a cool game. It's a wonderful game. Well, and shoot, yours truly has played it exactly one time. So, you know, I'm down right. to play it anytime. I want to play it again. Right. So I bought this game kind of before you were in our game group and yep. I've played it actually a lot. I think I've played it like 12, 15 times. I just need to play it more. I need to bring the good word that is Food Chain Magnet to the world, Mark. Well, and I'll need to check my uh, personal ego at the door as you walk right over me again. Although, as we've no, seen, I'll that lose. is not a guarantee. I'll lose because always be, there'll always be newbies and I'll think I'm being super smart and shenanigansy and outcutting someone's business when and really, I'm just being an idiot and giving them too much demand. Now that I think about it, when I played with you the first time, too, who won that game? I think you did. We could look it up, but I think oh, I did, did not. I did not. No, Eric did. Eric did. Eric Shea did. That was yes. right. And he did well. <laughs> so Brett won this time. Good job, Brett. You did good. Also, on Wednesday, we did have a great Wednesday game night, and we were able to play Grand Austria Hotel, which I talked about in the last episode. It was designed by Mark. Could you tell the name? The guy who's just in Italy and could probably pronounce it better than I can. Okay, I got to get the uh, I got to get the right hand gesture going. Okay, Virginio Gigli. No, let me try that again. Virginio Gigli. 
Geegly. Oh God, we're gonna Forget we're it. shooting ourselves in the shit foot here. Virginio Geegly and Simone Luciani. And so, what you're doing in this game is you're different hoteliers in Austria, and I think the turn of the century. And it's just a bog standard Euro game. Listen to our previous episodes to see what we thought about it. But what's interesting, Mark, is we actually played this twice at Wednesday, both at okay. two players, and we had the most diverse experience with the two different plays. We played them back to back, and the first time we played, John and I just really disliked the game i don't know if it was fragile and we were getting the wrong dice rolls and we had the wrong cards to be able to push the game in a right way but our scores were like 70 and 60 respectively and we just didn't feel like it was a very fun experience yeah that's very strange then we reset it dealt out the cards again we had way better cards and i think my score is like 180 or something and john's was 150 it just was such an interesting experience seeing that this game was a little fragile at two. And maybe to be candid, we may have made the wrong decisions. I kept on hiring people, which was probably the wrong move because it wasn't getting me a lot of points. But both John and I just had the darndest time being able to figure something out and get our strategy moving, which was really sad because the other two times I played this game, the time after and the time previous, I really, really loved this game. It was just really weird to see it kind of break down at a lower player count with just some weird card draws and kind of just the order of what was coming out. Now, this was the first time you played it at two, correct? Correct. Okay. There's a lot of games out there that are amazing experiences at three and four and at two are just, eh, boy, that really didn't work. But so. we played it after this at two and it was great. It was just that one time, it must have been either like a perfect storm or something, but it just didn't feel right. <laughs> we yeah. both looked at each other. We're like, we have to play this game again. It's only going to take like 30, 45 minutes to run it back. We need to because that was just a bad experience. It was very strange. Yeah, there must be some fragility at low play counts. That's player counts. Right. That's all I can think of. Right. So we thought that maybe there should have been a way to like purge things from the market, which maybe we were playing wrong. Maybe there is. But at two players, we wouldn't like any of the things that were out there and they're, they weren't kicking out. And to be candid, it's not my game. It's John's and I haven't read the rules. So maybe that isn't it. But it just felt a little fragile there. And then we didn't like any of our people that we had in our hands, our, our workers. So they didn't really get hired or I hired too many of them and they weren't really helping me that much. Interesting experience, to say the least. Finally, I also, on the same day, was able to play Stevenson's Rocket, again, by Reiner Knizia. Man, this game is wonderful. You're going to need to play it. I think you're going to like it a lot. Yep, I agree. It's a tile game pretending to be a train game, and it just with that little bit of theme there, you can kind of figure it out a little bit more. Very interesting news. I was looking over at Amazon.co.jp the other day, okay, and... There is a copy of Stevenson's Rocket by SNE Group. Oh, I saw this. And it is so cool. Yeah, it's really cool looking. Yeah. Yeah, and it was 4,800 yen, which I think plus shipping would be like 50, 60 bucks. I think if, yeah, if, right. if anybody that's listening to this game in the game group, you should buy that because it's so cool. Yeah. It looked so, so, so cool. But anyway, we'll have to get you to play Stevenson's Rocket. It's a it's a wonderful game. And seeing it open with more plays with the same group was such a wonderful experience. Cool. Yeah, no, definitely. We need more game nights so we can get a lot of these played. I know, right? I got a chance to play a game that I picked up on trade recently. And that game is probably one of the most polarizing games out there right now. And that game is Feudum by Odd Bird Games. For those that don't know what Feudum is, it's a it's a game that I think what people thought they were getting and what they actually got were two different things because it's beautiful. It was a hugely successful Kickstarter. And when they got it, they found out it was actually a very complex game that had a lot going on and a lot of moving parts. So I think there was a little bit of a backlash among people that played it. It intrigued me enough that I wanted to pull together a game night to actually give this game a whirl. A little bit of background. It's really two games linked together. It's a dudes on the map game where you're trying to establish feudums and move around and get influence in these feudums and have territory control over those feudums. And then having that influence gives you a power up in the economic game that's going around the outside where you're trying to push cubes in a clockwise direction around the outside of the game board in the quote unquote guilds. And by doing that, you get benefits that help you on the dudes in the map game. It's really two interlocked games playing simultaneously. Oh, neat. Yeah. So you were supposed to be part of that one, but uh, you were not able to attend mm -hmm. that night. I most certainly was not. I felt really sick. And regrettably, the how, how the evening transpired uh, really validated my opinion to not come over to your house. I don't think I would have had a fun time, <laughs> nor would you guys had a fun time with me at the table. So, yep. um, yeah, I and this game is so beautiful. I mean, 
I remember looking at the Kickstarter and almost being drawn in. And then I remember looking at them at Gen Con and almost being drawn in. It just really has this beautiful board presence. So I'm excited to try it. And hopefully we'll get to try it tonight and I'll actually be able to say some opinions on it. My very short, quick first impressions on it. And I know everybody does not agree with me on this one, but I enjoyed it. And the other two guys that I played with, Brent and Vinny, also both enjoyed it. Now, we're all kind of giving it this, uh, you know, we enjoyed it enough to give it another whirl. And I think it gets better with multiple plays, but we definitely enjoyed it enough to play it again. And we understand it a lot better after our first playthrough. The other thought that I want to put out there, too, is that it gets the reputation of having too much stuff in it and or being fiddly. And I don't think that's the correct criticism of it. It really isn't fiddly in the way that games like uh, Lisboa is. Like Lisboa, there's a lot of bureaucracy steps in there. Do this, now move this over here, now move this forward. And if this happens, then do that, then move this over here and so forth. It's not fiddly in that way. It's actually not that complicated in that the iconography is really good and pretty self-explanatory on what to do. There's not a lot of steps to do. Where it is very complex is I think the game's kind of 4D chess and that you're literally playing two games at the same time and the two games influence each other. Yeah. That takes a while to figure out and understand how that moves. Yeah, I, I, I will. It'll be interesting to see after I play the game whether or not I agree with you, which is interesting that we're recording before it. But I remember I listened to the playthrough or, or the rules teach on this game because you'd sent it out to us before the game, which is weird because normally we don't know what game we're playing before we actually play it. Um, we just kind of all show up at game night. Um, but my takeaway from I was listening to it and it all seemed pretty standard fare. And then all of a sudden it talked about potassium or sulfur. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was sulfur. And it uh, says every time you sul- get sulfur, sulfur you yeah. can add it. You can add it to your what the wine area. The wine area scores more points at the end. And I was like, what the hell? It just felt super cones of Dunshirey. That being said, I really dislike those whole rule teach videos. I find them way too monotonous and I can't follow. I'm pretty sure I can teach it much more expediently than that rule teach video. Well, hopefully. And honestly, it has a reputation of being a horrendous to teach too. And I don't know. You know, well, there's a pretty the good script smart. out there. And you just I don't think it's going to be out. that bad. All right. I we'll have to see. I'm looking forward to it tonight. I think I think we'll have more interesting things to wax poetically on next episode. Sounds great. This brings up an interesting conversation in that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the opportunity cost of gaming, that every time you play a game, it's at the expense of playing another game. There's a lot of great games out there. So how do you really pick out what you're going to play? Because anytime you play something, you're not playing something else that you want to play. And as it turns out, both Jake and I have a lot of something else's that we're trying to play. (laughs) We do. We most certainly do. So this is actually very good timing because I also made a geek list over on Board Game Geek that are all of my games on my shelf of shame. Mark and I do have different terms for what our shelf of shame is. So we're naming this section games we want to get played just so we don't run that issue. But this is my (laughs) this is a shortened version of my shelf of shame. And it's parts of your shelf of shame, even though I played some of these games with you. Yeah, there's definitely overlap on this one. These are games that we have either not played or have severely underplayed that are absolutely burning a hole in our pocket. And they're burning a hole in our pocket for a reason. I mean, we we acquired them for a reason. Right. We didn't just get them. No, we didn't just like, oh, that looks pretty. We'll buy that. So we're actually going to talk about the top six, seven, eight games in our collect each of our collections that we're dying to play and why we acquired it, why we're dying to play it and what we hope to get out of it. And before we get into it, too, I do want to make a note that in most of these cases, if not all of these cases, we either haven't played them or we haven't played them enough to really form an opinion. So it's entirely possible that something we're going to say about this is dead wrong. So right, because we haven't played these. You have an opinion on that? That's for your inside voice. There you go. Yes. And looking through your list, I've only played one of your games. So uh, likewise, I've played one of your games. So to kick us off here, Mark, I'm going to start with the game that's been on my shelf of shame for by far the longest. I purchased this game, I think, two or three years ago. I bought it when I was promoted at my old job and I've been at my current job for 14 months now. It's at least been a bit. So the name of this game is Space Empires 4X by Jim Crone. And what the game is, is you're trying to do a 4X game, which is a classic style of computer game and board game, but in space. And so what a 4X game is, is you are exploring, expanding, exploiting, and exterminating. Those are all the X's. I originally was turned on to it because I really like space games in general. 
And this game has some really interesting mechanisms. So at the end of each set of like operating rounds, you kind of like a stock round where you get to spend some of your technology dollars on different tech, which seemed really, really, really cool. And also at this point in time, I was looking into GMT style games, which are kind of a publisher that makes more war style games than what me and Mark are usually used to. And this one seemed to fit the bill. I have been so lame and I keep on thinking I'm going to play it at a convention and three or four conventions have popped by where I keep on thinking I'm going to play it and I don't play it then. I just need to sit down with the rules and learn it because I think we're really going to like it. I'm definitely interested. I do like a 4X game and I don't really know that much about that one. So I'm in. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it should be interesting. I'm I'm hoping we're going to like it. Cool. First game on my list is one that <laughs> oh, we're going to get in trouble, Mark. We've already has promised this our, so many times. Has become our albatross. <laughs> we'll see. Hey, I got a funny thing. I was driving in Italy, driving from Pisa over to Orvieto, going near probably somewhere somewhere in Tuscany there. And darn if there wasn't a big factory on the side of the road named Agricola. I couldn't believe it. That's hilarious. Well, I tried to take a picture. Well, I couldn't take a picture. I was driving. But I looked at that and I went, hey, Agricola. And it reminded me that, dang, I really want to play Agricola. For whatever reason, neither Jake or I have ever played this game. We've played a lot of Caverna and we love Caverna. I have played Agricola on the iOS app. So, you know, I know at least a base amount about it. But it's sort of become this ongoing thing that I really want to try it because I keep hearing people talk over and over and over again about how that is the best Uwe Rosenberg game. That is their most favorite Uwe Rosenberg game that, boy, that's really the greatest game he's ever. And there are so many people whose opinions I respect that keep telling me that, that I do kind of feel like we're missing out having not played it. Yeah, we're going to have to try it. It's just this goes into the opportunity cost thing. I have an established thing that's always compared to this game, Caverna, that we all really like. I can't remember where it is on my top XYZ amount of games, but love me some Caverna. We don't play it as much as I'd like, but we play it at least once or twice a year. And it is such a good experience every single time we play it. I have to eschew that experience, which I've heard is very similar. And I apologize if it's not that similar, but I've heard it's very similar for something that is an undefined amount of good to me. What I hear talked about with Agricola is that it's a much tighter experience, that the decisions have more gravity, the decisions are more painful, and that's the experience that makes it great. There's another game we'll talk about that falls into that same pile, but I think it's a case that if you like it a little more sandboxy and a little few more options, Caverna is going to be your game. If you like a really tight decision tree with where decisions have real consequences, then Agricola is your game. And, you know, I, I need to try it and figure out which one of those I prefer. Got it. We'll just be boned up on the rules because we got to try that. I will I will agree to it because we've promised by episode like four we were supposed to do this. And I think we're on episode like 13. So we've not done a good job. Let's call it episode 40. Episode 40. This year, this year, we have this year, this 2019. Year. Honestly, my only challenge with getting this one out is I've read the rules multiple times. It's literally just I, I need to just stop and set this thing up for myself, because every time I go to set it up, I pull the stuff out of the box and I go, uh, where, where, where does where, oh, heck with it? Let's play something else. Right. Yeah, it's just one of those games. Sometimes games are easy to, to just read the rules and you can be like, OK, this has great pictures. I can figure out how to do it and it'll be fine. I'll see the actual components when I need to. But some games you 100 percent need to set up to even be able to parse out the rules. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is really my hang up on this game is I got to figure out how to set the dumb thing up. Then I think I'll have a lot better chance at it. Cool. So this next one is actually top of my list of games I want to play because when I made my little geek list on Board Game Geek about my unplayed games, a bunch of random people commented saying, looking at your scores and games that you like, this is definitely going to be one you like. So this one is currently top of my list. I'm going to try to bring it to some game nights. I don't think it's going to work for tonight, but maybe next week we can get it played. The game I'm talking about is Imperial 2030 by Mac Kurtz. I know two things about this game. Okay. Jack and squat. So tell me about it. <laughs> Matt Gertz is a designer of another one of the games I really like, which is Concordia. And I traded for this one because I thought it was interesting. I've heard good things about it. And the kind of premises of it is, is you are smart investors investing in world powers during a conflict in 2030. Hopefully the next 11 years go. Okay. So this doesn't happen. You don't necessarily own the country, but it's almost like if people were playing a really simple dudes on the map risk style game, and then we were a level removed from that investing in who's doing what. 
Okay. If you own the most of a country, you do operate it just like an 18xx game. But there's also mm. an interesting rondelle in the thing where you can move a certain number of spaces forward on this big circle to choose what action you want to do. It just seems really neat. It's It seems within our wheelhouse. It's technically a dudes on a map game. There are dudes. There is a map. But not really. And I think it's going to be simple enough for us to like. And it's got a lot of interesting Euro mechanisms with the rondelle. And it's designed by Matt Gertz. It seems really fun. I think it's going to be something we're going to really like. Yeah, no, that definitely sounds like something I would enjoy. So, Right. It's just kind of boring looking. <laughs> it's just like a map and little wooden tanks or little wooden boats. And then there's some shares of countries and some boring looking euros. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're going to play it and I think we're going to really like it. It's just it's it's just one I'm just interested in. You know, it just seems like an interesting premise. Well, sure. And, uh, you know, the designers definitely got a few popular things under his belt right. as well. So. It was just amazing, though. I think four people commented that that maybe listen to the podcast may just be subscribed to this game on Board Game Geek. And commented with just loving opinions on this. And none of the other games on my shelf of shame have been commented on. Say what you want. Interesting. Yeah. It's got some vocal fans out there. What's your number two? My number two is a the 118xx game that I own that I have not played yet. This might be even more challenging to get to the table than 1822, unfortunately. Uh, the game I'm talking about is Harzban 1873 by Klaus Kiermeyer and published by both All Aboard Games and Marflow. I personally have the All Aboard Games version of it. What Harzban is, is Harzban's the, uh, you know, air quotes, kind of an 18xx, maybe an 18xx, maybe not an 18xx. It's an 18xx that also has like uh, industries and mines as well. So the idea is that you're building rail lines to mines, and you're also building and buying shares of stock in these mines. And not only are you buying trains for your train company, you're buying machinery for your mine company, and you're you can upgrade those and machinery rots. The big difference between mines and trains, it's kind of neat, is the mine machinery can't get sold to another company. It's with the company it gets bought with and you can't move it around because it's like, you know, a building. Right. (laughs) You can't just go sell it to another company and have them use it. That really sounds like an interesting experience. Since I bought it, I have cooled a little bit on some of the crazier 18xx titles that are so far out there that I have a hard time understanding what's going on. A lot of people whose opinions that I value and trust like this game quite a bit. I'm excited to play Harzban 1873. Well, it's definitely locked in as our next train Thursday. I think this one's yeah. been dibsed for a while. So anytime you want to schedule it, I'm sure we're down to play. Unfortunately, when's the last time we had a train Thursday? Oh, I think last year. <laughs> yeah, that'd be the problem. <laughs> All right. We're just too busy. Just too busy. Note to self, schedule train Thursday. Got it. Perfect. All right. So my number three, IP 500, a couple of games, which is a pre-order system through GMT games, one being the new 18xx game, 1862, and the other one being, that's not out yet, and the other one being Commands and Colors Ancients, because it was out of print at this point in time. Turns out you Mm -hmm. shouldn't do that. You can just buy games used, and I was a dumbo, and I could have bought it from retail for saving some money, but (laughs) it was was good. So (laughs) anywho, I supported a company, I did a good thing, and it's published even though it's about it's like eighth or ninth printing. I bought this game just based on the fact that I've heard it's a good entry-level war game. I really like Roman okay. history. And what you're doing in Commands and Colors is you are playing the Romans versus Carthage in a bunch of different battles. And what's cool is all of the different units are little small blocks with stickers on them that come unstickered that you need to stick up. And I did that for a couple of hours while I was on some conference calls for work. I have spent so much time on this game that I just need to get it played. The commands and color system is pretty prolific. It's in a whole bunch of other games from my just Google foo. Actually, you own one that has the same system, which is Memoir 44. Yeah, exactly. From my understanding, you're just kind of playing some cards and dice resolve combat, and it's pretty simple. But I just need to, again, sit down and put together a two-player game night to play this. Actually, ironically, I brought it to game night the other day, and it was Eric and I, or, or John and I, pardon me, after Eric had left, and we were like, should we play this? And John was like, do you know the rules, Jake? And I was like, I, I don't. Let's play something else. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I can usually do a pretty simple, I'll read through the rules and we'll kind of figure it out together for 15 or 20 minutes. It'll take a little while longer than it normally would. But GMT games rule books are written in a very formal style, I'll say, and not always in the most readable style. 
So I just need to sit down with it for 15 minutes and read it and finally figure out this game so we can play it. But I think it's going to be one that's going to stick. Yeah, I think I could fudge my way through it just having played Memoir 44 a whole bunch because it is supposed to be very similar. Uh, The idea is you have a handful of cards and it'll basically say like activate three units in the left flank. You know, depending on what type of unit it is means that it has different rules about how much it can move and where it can move and how far it can shoot or, uh, you know, what's its range of melee or whatever. It's a really pretty simple mechanism where the details get into it is understanding what each of the different units are capable of doing. Some of them are able to move a little. Others are able to shoot a long way. And so once you understand what the units can do, yeah, the system's pretty simple. Right. Yeah. We're just going to have to get it played. Maybe I should actually play with you because you'll understand the frame. And I just need to explain the specifics of the game. And it's almost like I teach you the specifics. You teach me the broad strokes. Could be interesting. So sure. The other interesting thing about, and again, I'm talking about experience with Memoir 44. So if it doesn't apply directly to Commands and Colors Ancients, uh, my apologies. But the scenarios are deliberately designed to be not symmetrical and not equal. Most of the times are cases where one side or the other is designed to win, and they will win 90% of the time. But that 10%. Yeah, and actually what you do is you're supposed to play each side. You're supposed to play one side, then flip and play the other side. And the winner is the one who loses the least, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you're going to lose, but if you lose the least, you're going to win the overall match. Right. Yeah. And, and and that's an interesting thing. And I'm excited to learn more about Roman history using this game as a vehicle for it through military history of actually doing the scenarios. And I'm sure it's the same way in Memoir 44. But we should probably add another caveat here. We haven't played these games. We just bought them from our research. So our research may be wrong. We have not played these, (laughs) so we'll see. Probably someone's fuming at the other end of a keyboard. This is not the same. It's different. (laughs) All right, let's move on to your number three, Mark. My number three is a game that I got from my heavy cardboard Secret Santa last year, and it's burning a hole in my my shelf of shame right now. It is Wildcatters by Rolf Segal, Andre Spill, published by Capstone Games. Jake, we love us some Capstone Games, do we not? Correct. Capstone Games has been focusing on doing heavier games, but actually doing them with beautiful production value. I know the other games that we own by Capstone include The Climbers, which is a lovely box of wood blocks, and we also The Estates, which took a uh, fairly ugly <laughs> European game and made it beautiful by the inclusion of great art and wooden blocks. Uh is no exception. The bits in this thing are amazing. It's a game about oil production, really, where you're trying to explore and develop oil wells and ship the most uh, barrels of oil by the end of the game. And the one that most successfully ships the oil is the one that wins it. And yeah, there's just these great wooden ships and these wooden oil derricks and wooden trains and all this all this great stuff. It's a beautiful production. The interesting twist around it is that you actually have to cooperate a little bit to win because you can ship stuff on your own ships, but you can also ship stuff using other people's rail lines or ships to get them there more efficiently. The one who wins is the one that takes advantage of all of their resources the best. Cool. And that's an interesting twist. Yeah, I would call it primarily a financial game, but uh, and I've also heard it really should be played at four. So that's been a limiting factor in getting this one played as well. Right. There's just so many good games in the world, too, especially with our whole we want to play the games that we love from the past goal for 2019. Playing some of those older games has cut in the way of playing these newer stuff. And I feel like sure. I feel like Watercatter Wildcatters has been regrettably relegated to that side. But I mean, the games we've been playing has been awesome. I've been cheerleading Wildcatters now for several months, I feel like well, since Christmas time. I'm sure we're going to like it. You know, it's definitely seems Uh, within our wheelhouse chance for sure. All right. My number four in no specific order is Decaslayer, which you briefly owned, Mark. Wait, wait, Jake, Jake, Jake. Decaslayer is not available yet. That was a Kickstarter last spring and it hasn't shipped yet. How do you have a copy? I have this cool friend named Mark who went to Japan and bought me the Japanese version of the game, (laughs) um, which is designed by Hisashi Hayashi and Seji Kanai. This game, what you're doing is it's a trick-taking game where you're technically killing monsters with cards from your hand, which are different adventures. The main reason I've played this is there is an English rules on BGG, but I can't print it because it's like a file designed for like commercial printers. And I don't want to waste that much ink or that much time flipping around with it. And to be candid, I read so many documents on the computer for my job. I don't want to sit in front of BGG with my cards, figuring out this game. And then when the rules question comes up, I'd have to plink open my phone and figure it out. 
if they had just a plain doc, just a regular Microsoft Office doc word rulebook of this, I would have already played this about eight, nine months ago. Uh, I will do you a favor. I, I'm staring at my commercial printer right now, and I will just <laughs> I'll just make you one right now so okay. that you can have it tonight. And then then we got no excuse because, oh, I'm sure we're going to like it, too. It's so cool. I brought that back a year ago. And, and I want to flex on the game store. I mean, like, no one's going to have this. <laughs> we're going to be the only people who have got sweet Japanese games. And we're going to look like the cool kids, you know? And I, I want that. I want that a lot. <laughs> so that's Deka Slayer by Hisashi Hayashi and Seji Kanai, my number four, in no specific order. We have not met a Hisashi Hayashi game that we do not like either. Or I would say love. For sure. Okay, my number four is a weird one in that we've both played this. Together. Together. But <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't still really want to play it again. That game is Brass Lancashire by Martin Wallace and Roxley Games. And I would say this fits in the same bin as Agricola does in that there's a lot of people that prefer this one to Brass Birmingham. Jake and I have played Brass Birmingham a number of times in you know over the past several months. And it was my game of the year last year. Absolutely love that game. And I have not played Brass Lancashire since I've played Brass Birmingham. And I, I feel like I want to go back and revisit it just to feel the difference. See, I feel the opposite. Just compare and contrast. I feel the opposite. I don't need to compare and contrast. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't find it interesting to see from a design standpoint why a game I like more than the other. Because I remember the first time we played Brass Lancashire at the BGG Hotness Room at Gen Con, which I don't believe I've played it before that, but I may have. I wasn't too interested in it. I said, okay, that was fine. Ugh, oh, well. And maybe there may have been other lurking variables. We retired from Gen Con. It wasn't a game we knew super well, so the teach was a little rough. And then we played Brass Birmingham, and it was everything that I liked about Brass Lancashire with none of the stuff that I didn't. Sure. Probably can't hold that opinion because I haven't played Brass Lancashire enough, but I don't really know if I care about being able to hold an opinion or not. I also think that we have given our subsequent plays at Brass Birmingham. We sort of understand the system a lot better now and probably right. would have a more interesting playthrough of Brass Lancashire. That's the other reason I want to give it a shot is, you know, just more experienced. And I think we'd get more out of it. But I don't know. It's one of those things that I'm interested enough to try it again. I also think perhaps I like a tighter, more painful game than you do sometimes. So that's probably fair, that's especially probably, in Euro games. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So it strikes me that I probably would like this one more than you. Like I said, I want to play it again. We, I'm sure we can figure that out. You could honestly just bring it and say, oh, let's play Brass, guys. I'll be like, heck yeah, Birmingham, I love it. And then you can show up with just Lancashire and be like, oh, sorry, I only grabbed one box. Sorry, my bad. And I'll probably still play it. So I gave you technique. And the other thing is all the great things we said about Brass Birmingham being beautiful also apply to the re-release of Brass Lancashire. It's gorgeous and dark. Yeah, I really dark. I, I might be turning my opinion on whether or not I think it's beautiful. I think it's well done. Let me rephrase that. I think it's beautiful, but I don't think it's well done. Hmm. I think it looks neat, but it's so gosh dang dark and you can't see anything. And the cars they chose are very evocative, but kind of annoying. I think I'd rather just maybe it's the old grognard 18xx things in my life where I just like want to just be able to grok the information quickly. I don't want to have to figure out that there's a little train over there or whatever. There's at least one time each game where someone got a route confused because they thought it was water and it's only a steel rail line or vice versa. And it's always a little annoying, Mark. Brass Lancashire by Martin Wallace and Roxley Games. All right. Number four on my list of things I want to play. So I'm going to break the rules and it's technically not listed here, but I'm going to do a 4.5 on mine before I do my actual five. Ooh, not on the script. Only going to take Jake? 10 seconds. Age of Industry. It's also by Martin Wallace. I have a copy. I traded for it. It's the limited edition copy. If we're going full hog on but, but, on but, on, but Jake, on trying to figure Jake. out different things. This is actually, Jake, I would say I already, this is, I already have one I like. Why would I need to try another one? This one's actually different enough. It doesn't have the reset halfway through. <laughs> I'm just yanking you, Joe. <laughs> and you did a good job of it. Um, this one does not have the reset halfway through. And I have the Minnesota map. How often can you say you played a game set in Minnesota? Uh, that's a good point. Right. That's all, I, all the time I want to spend on it. Maybe you should give that one a try. I'll agree to Lancashire if you agree to Age of Industry. That seems Deal. like done. Speaking of Minnesota... We mentioned last time that we were issuing a challenge to Craig Taylor of the train rush that we were going to have a competition pronouncing place locations from each other's areas. He's British. We're going to slaughter a bunch of British location names and we're going to send him a list of great Minnesota locations and he's going to slaughter them back. So the challenge has been accepted and we are busy preparing the victim. So it's on easy. And I'm sure he's probably rolling in his seat 
with how poorly you pronounced all of the uh, all of the English towns <laughs> in, uh, in in our conversation of Brash Birmingham and Lancashire or however the heck you say it. <laughs> all right. So enough of a side note, Mark. I need to say my number five because we're we're getting a little long here. Get it. My number five is Seal Team Flicks by Pete Ruth and published by WizKids Games. So what you're doing in SEAL Team Flicks is it's a dexterity game, a tactical dexterity co-op game where you're different members of a SEAL team going in and taking down different people on different missions. And it just seems so fun. I don't know if I really need to explain anything else more than that, but you're different SEAL members doing different tactical things in a co-op game to try to accomplish missions and there's a campaign in it. Like, what else can you say, right? What else can you say? Yeah, I don't know what to think about this one. I mean, it's getting a great buzz. And, you know, the concept does seem interesting. The only similar game I own is I actually have a copy of Rampage, which was the first printing of what's now known as Terror in Meeple City. You know, it's an interesting activity. But as games go, it's not really a game. Well, see, so this one has games because you're co-op. And the only thing that flicking represents is certain. So I actually technically have played this game. I'm somewhat breaking the rules. I played an expedited one player version just to drill in the rules. The only time you're actually flicking is to shoot at people. So your gun will have different sized discs and you can fire in burst or regular or whatever. And if you hit someone, they're dead. Or for unlocking things, you can unlock doors and there's a mechanism where a bunch of little discs go out there and you have to flick another disc to knock all these discs off to bypass the security door or else you'll make noise. And there are some rules in there that I think will make it really fun. And the fact that we're working as a team, but the actual mechanism of the game is kind of silly or certain aspects of the game are silly versus other parts of the game that are controllable. I think it'll be really fun. I think it's something that will be more interesting than Terra and Maple City and a little bit less like, ha I'm just flicking stuff, you know? Yeah, well, and certainly for a uh, shooting and aiming mechanism, that's a lot more interesting and thematic than just rolling some dice and going, woo, six, I hit. Yeah, cool. Oh, my sick exploded. I rolled eight, six. I really, I really did it. Cool. Yeah, but anyway, yep. that's Seal Team Flicks, my number five game, and it's a co-op, so haha. People who say we don't <laughs> like co-ops. Co-ops we like. Speaking of co-ops, wow, it's like we planned this together. Who would have thought? Yeah, my number five, Vita Lacerda's CO2 Second Chance, published by GeoChicks. Apparently marginally published by GeoChicks. There's a lot of errata out there about this game already. There's oh, apparently got it. lots of mistakes in this game. I don't know. I haven't played it yet, but that's the word. So CO2 Second Chance is a republish and refreshing of the game CO2 by Vita Lacerda from several years ago. Just was delivered by Kickstarter eh, two months ago, perhaps. This is a game that actually has two modes. You can either play it competitively or you can play it cooperatively. It's pretty clear that the way to play it is the cooperative way, that that's the that's the way it was intended and that's the good way to play it. What you're trying to do is you're trying to use carbon credits to develop alternative industries. And this is all a little bit touchy-feely for me, but you know what? I do like me some Vita Lacerda, so CO2 Second well, Chance is like one I'm interested in. We also like some environment, Mark. We like the environment here. That's an editorial stance. We do. We do. Of the gaming moguls. However, I yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to say the least. Well, okay, so let me refresh that. Yes, we here at the gaming moguls do like the environment. We here at the gaming moguls do not like preachy. That's fair. We come to games to escape other things, not to delve into the real issues of the current world, because we have to deal with those already. There's a little bit of exactly. escapism for us. I don't know how I feel about this because Vital Lacerda is batting one for three for me so far. I would give Kanban a meh. I would give Lisboa a meh, a little bit better than a meh. And then I would give the Gallerist a yeah, that's a good game. I like that game. So it'll be interesting to see what category this goes into. I might want to play Vinyos more because I think I'm going to like that one more than CO2 Second Chance. But we'll, we'll see. It, it is a co-op. So I, I don't know. Co-op Lacerda better? I've never played a co-op by Lacerda, so I'm I, I want to give it a shot just from just from well, the novelty factor. We haven't even that. we haven't even played a real co-op in so long. I was trying to think of like when the last time I played like a pandemic derivative is, and it's been a while. You know, maybe it'll be fun. I don't know. Maybe it'll be a fun experience. I actually have that one kind of studied up and ready to go. That's one that could be whipped out on pretty short notice. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely see. And I've I've seen the picture of the production. I know it's not published well for a rules rata's standpoint, but it looks beautiful. I'm going to hold the ball and keep running here, being that you just mentioned my number six on my list. So you like that? Do you like rather that? Rather than an awkward throwback, we're just going to roll right We're getting better into- at this, Mark. We're doing it. 
<laughs> My number six is also by Vita Lacerda. This one is probably the game I've owned longest out of the pile of my Shelf of Shame games. You brought this back from Gen Con last year. <laughs> so I did. I, You're welcome. I've had I mulled that year, back in my old car. A year and seven or eight months or something like that. This is Vinos by Vita Lacerda, published by Eagle Griffin Games. It's in the same big old box as The Gallerist and Lisboa, and it is beautiful. I've heard this not charitably described as a not as awesome viticulture, <laughs> which I don't think about that because I, I do think viticulture is pretty awesome. So I don't know. You know, where honestly, where I get tripped by this one is there are actually two games in that box. There's the original 2010 version, and then there's the call it the polished, simplified, easier 2016 version. And I don't know which way, which route to go down. I don't know which path. Right. I like games that give you different scenarios if all of them are like even. But if they give you like two pretty distinct games and you don't know which one to do, can sometimes yeah, be exactly. Especially when it's a meteor game, like I'm sure Lisboa or pardon me, not Lisboa, Vinos is where you don't want to walk down the wrong path for too long. And the challenge here is I've heard definite opinions on both sides of that that they prefer the 2016 version or and or the 2010 version. So that's that's really been the sticking point for me is I don't know where to start. So uh, listeners, if you have some opinion on which one we should play, I'd love the feedback so we can kind of get it off on the right foot. Completely agree. And I love wine. So we can just get a couple of bottles of wine, play it. Sounds great. And I did get some little expansion with it that has like little cute bottles of wooden port that fit into a rack. Oh, that's hilarious. I, I love think that's that. cool just by itself. That's phenomenal. So my speaking of beasts. Yeah, this is a beast. So this is my number six, I believe. My number six game that I want to play is Arkwright, designed by Stefan Rieshaus and published by Capstone Games. So we actually both have a copy of this. You got it in your secret Santa from uh, the heavy cardboard. If I wasn't public enough online, man, my secret Santa killed it. I mean, getting Wildcatters and Arkwright. Phenomenal games. 10 out of 10. It's just, I I feel horrible that we haven't had the chance to play them yet. So, and life has been busy this, this last while. Yeah. And we've been been focusing on other games. These will be favorites and we will play these soon because we're both dying to play these games. Correct. And in in, in the terms of uh, Vinyos, they are aging in the cellar. Just fine. They're sitting there just getting <laughs> more tasty with time. So Arkwright, I know probably the least about this game compared to the other ones on my list because I tried a couple of times to read the rules and then I gave up. I will read it at some point in time. This kind of goes again. I just need to dive in and figure it out. But what you're doing is your different industries, your captains of industries, making different factories to try to make the most money. That's really all I know about it. But I'm nowhere going to like it on every single quiz where it's like, what game would I like? Input your BGG scores or every game I click on. It seems like the other people who like this game like this other game. It seems like it's Arkwright. I just I know we're going to like this game and we just need to buck up and make a day with it. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, this this game feels to me like it's a game that almost could have been published by Splatter. You know, it's got it it externally has that feeling to it a little bit. I think it like antiquity with a lot of little tiles or I I don't know why I get that feeling, but I have heard it described as spreadsheet the game. And it's a lot about we do like play games that are spreadsheet like that. This is a case of where it's all about operational efficiency and squeezing, you know, buying something here and squeezing a little money out of it by selling it for a little bit more. And those just little microscopic bits of efficiencies all added up causes a win on that one. And we'll love it. Might be a little dry for some of the people in our group. Yeah, but if it can play two, maybe it's another one that's added to the long games that Jake, Mark and maybe or three, one other person we like to play. That's not a that's that's a list that can always grow. And J-Mac will play this with us. Oh, I'm Tyler. sure. Tyler will love it, too. So, anywho, yeah. that is my, 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 my number six game, Arkwright, by Stefan Reisthaus and Capstone Games. I thought that I was the owner of the kind of the rarest Uwe Rosenberg game. Well, up until this morning, Jake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you went slamming home on this one. I am so um, happy. We should so tell the listeners. You, why don't you tell the listeners what happened to you today? I won a contest. How cool is that? I can't believe this. That is I really know. Cool. So I've been trying to be better about BGG and something that's been doing is I'm pretty much signing up for every contest that seems interesting to me. So we, I am the winner of a copy of At the Gates of Loyang, which is by Uwe Rosenberg. Uh, I am the, the winner of Gold West, which I do not know the designer off the top of my head. And I won another copy of Crusaders That Will Be Done, which is a game I really like. And I think someone else in our game group will absolutely love. 
it's I, I'm just on cloud nine. I woke up just to the best news. I'm a winner. That is pretty cool. I never win these things. I never win these things. I've never gotten any free things from board <laughs> games. You know, I saw this very early in the morning. I'm still jet lagged and still kind of on European time. So I saw this probably about 5 a.m. this morning and I was like, "Ooh, Jake's going to be happy. <laughs> I know. So I think what I'm going to do is this is the final side note. And then we got to dick it to finish up these uh, these games we want to talk about. But I think I'm going to not tell anybody in the group that I'm going to give it away. But every time that I offer to play Crusaders, that will be done. I think I'm going to give it as the winning goal. But but we don't know which game when I'm going to get that played next. So Ooh. it'll be a fun thing. We'll actually play for it. Oh. How, how to get people to all of a sudden, hey, what should we play, guys? I know. Let's play Crusaders again. Let's do it. Who wants to do it? And you have to beat me. You have to take me down at the game. If I keep it, I'm going to roll it on. Just keep on adding it in. <laughs> I love it. That's fun. <laughs> all right. OK, so the other game that I was talking about, also a very difficult to obtain Uwe Rosenberg game. This is Aura and Labora, one of his big box games, kind of uh, pre-Caverna in that uh, Lahav era somewhere in there. And I was able to find a copy of this quite out of print game last summer at Level Up Games in St. Paul, and I got it on a sale, and I'm pretty excited about playing it. It's it, It's been described as Lahav meets Glass Road. Um, that's, Uwe, that's a good combination of things. Yeah, I mean, Lahav is a fantastic game, and we both love Glass Road a lot. It sort of has that um, that wheel of resources like Glass Road has. Oh, I love that things thing. Off. That's so Yeah, neat. so I, we're going to love this game. We love everything Uwe does. and. We love we love the games it's based on or it seems to be similar to. So this one is just a matter of me bucking up and learning the rules and bringing it over. I feel like this is a very public self-shaming session. I feel like we're going to like I, I'm leaving this with a new sense of I need to just sit down with the rules and figure it out. I'm just I feel real yeah. motivated, Mark, yeah. to figure well, out our so right before tonight. Get it to done. be fair, listeners, both Jake and I take a lot of pride in our game running and our teaching, and we do not believe in just cracking a box open, grabbing the book, and just teaching cold out of the book. Not saying it doesn't happen, but we not really saying all of our teachers are good either. Sometimes I have <laughs> no, dropped the ball no. there too. No, but we really want to insulate everybody else from that and make sure that their learn is good so that they can play good. And that takes time. It takes time to learn the rules. It takes time to read up on things. It takes time to practice setting it up. So that when you're at game night, it's a seamless experience of pulling out and setting it up. And unfortunately, that means that we don't always have the time to put that level of prep in for a game that it needs. Right. Absolutely. Completely agree. I'm down to play this one any time. I would put this higher on the list for games that are on the, your list than Agricola, because this one seems like it offers more interesting things compared to a game that I really like. I shall fast track that. Fast track it, Mark. My next one is, I think, going to be the fastest to track. It's by yes. Oink Games. I bought this one because I, again, I'm trying to get better at BGG, and I learned that you can subscribe to games when they're added to the board game market. And so I immediately subscribed to all the games that are Oink Games. And someone put a copy of Troll up for sale for $8. And Troll is designed by Kuji Kimura and published, as I said previously, by Oink Games, one of our favorite publishers. Listen to episode four if you haven't heard of it before. And yeah, I, I I really just want to play it. You've already played it. You've taught it a couple of times, and I regrettably haven't played it whenever you have. So we just need to fast track your teach again. I do recall having uh, pulled it out a couple of times in your presence and saying, hey, let's play Troll. And for whatever reason, eh, it just didn't stick. Well, it's because I knew I was going to buy it later and I couldn't pre-play it and then buy it. That doesn't count, right? I'm being facetious. <laughs> that would have counted for my shelf of shame. That's our big argument. Troll, it's, it's, it's going to be good, right? You like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we played it. Uh, we we did actually play it in the Minneapolis airport while we were waiting for our plane to go to Italy. So counted as it that was one of the games in my case of holding that made the trip this time. Huge. Fun little game where everybody's blind or face up playing cards to try to steal from the steal gold from the troll. And if you go over the size of the troll, which only the first player knows, then if you're the person that causes the break, you have to pay in. Otherwise, if you got out before then, you got out with the treasure. And if you got out after then, you run away and you don't have to pay anything in. Play it for several rounds and the one with the most gold wins. It, it, it's very fun. And there's a lot of there's a lot of bluffing to it and trying to trick people into going bigger than they should and causing the break to happen. Sounds great. Yeah, it should be it's an good. interesting play. Yeah. And I like all Oink games. I think Oinks are on the instant buy as long as they're affordable category for me. So I'm not really that needing to play it anytime soon to get it off that shelf of shame. So that is our list of shelf of shame slash games we want to play. And, you know, one thing I do want to bring up, one thing we did not talk about this entire thing is we did not talk about the mogul scale for any of these games. 
And well, we can't. why do we not do that? Because we, we can't. can't. We haven't played them yet. Again, the last caveat, please don't tell us saying, you guys don't know anything about games. This is like BGG and review reads. I mean, we may not actually like these games or maybe get a completely wrong read on them. So we'll see. We haven't played any of them. We have played one. Friends, I will make you a promise when we play these games. I guarantee we'll talk about them and we'll give them a mogul scale rating. There you go. All right. Sounds great. Well, Jake, I think that wraps things up for now. We get to hang out tonight. How fun is that? We get to play games together. How lucky are we? I know. We just need to figure out what else we're going to play tonight. I know. It's going to be so fun. What a, what a hard problem to have. I know. Well, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.